Coming clean. The house cleaning choice. Choice number four. Talking about recovery as an acrostic. R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y. O stands for openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and someone I trust. Happy are the pure in heart. Have you ever tried to outrun your past? A convention of Arkansas State Troopers was asked to submit the best excuse they'd ever heard for someone trying to get out of a speeding ticket. The winning entry was submitted by a trooper who clocked a semi-tractor truck speeding down the interstate. The trooper pulled in behind the truck and turned his lights on, but the truck kept going. The trooper got right up on his bumper, but the truck kept going. The trooper turned on his siren, but the truck went even faster. Finally, the truck ran out of gas and rolled to the side of the highway. The trooper got out and walked up to the trucker's window. The driver rolled down his window and the trooper asked, Did you see my lights? Yes, sir, I did, the trucker responded. Did you see me following you, right on your bumper? The trucker answered, Yes, sir, I did. Did you hear my siren all those miles? Yes, sir, I did, the trucker answered. Finally, the trooper said, Then why didn't you pull over? Well, to be honest, about two years ago, my wife ran off with an Arkansas state trooper. I was afraid you were trying to bring her back. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to live our lives in such a way that we could be unafraid of our past catching up with us? Is that even possible? The joy of a pure heart. The beatitude we're learning about in this choice says, Happy are the pure in heart. A pure heart is one that is free and clean of impurities. It's a heart free of all the junk that weighs us down, washed clean of all the hurts, hang-ups, and habits that plague our lives. Those who are truly pure in heart aren't afraid of their pasts. They don't spend their todays looking over their shoulders at yesterday. But for many of us, the hope of a pure heart was given up long ago. Is the happiness of a pure heart even possible for you? The answer in this is in the next few minutes. In this chapter, we'll learn about coming clean. It won't all be easy, but it's broken down into steps, and the results will change your life forever. The truth is that we all have regrets. We've all done things that we wish we could go back and change, but we can't. We feel guilty, and we carry that guilt with us, sometimes consciously, but most of the time unconsciously. We deny our guilt, repress it, and blame it on other people. We make excuses and we rationalize, but no matter how hard we try to run from it, we feel its effects just the same. If we are to ever recover from the hurts, hang-ups, and habits in our lives and know the joy of a pure heart, we'll have to learn how to let go of our guilt and shame and how to gain a clear conscience. A young man called into one of those call-in radio talk shows hosted by a psychologist and said, I'm confused or I'm consumed with guilt and don't know what to do with it. How do I get rid of this guilt? The answer offered by the talk show host was very upsetting. You can't get rid of guilt. You just have to learn to live with it. That is not the answer. This guy actually told the hurting young man to rationalize his guilt. We can rationalize all we want. We can say, it's okay. Everybody's doing it. It was a long time ago. But in our hearts... We know what we did was wrong. In this chapter, the good news is that you will find the key to relief from your guilt. Take these steps and complete this choice and you will know the happiness of a pure heart. Before we start working on steps to overcoming guilt, 
it's important to understand the negative effect guilt has in our lives. What guilt does to us. Guilt destroys our confidence. Guilt and confidence cannot exist in the same person. Guilt is the fear that I'll be caught or that people will realize I'm not all that I say that I am. Guilt makes us feel insecure because we're always worried that somebody will find out the truth about us. And if they do, will they still like us? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, writer of the Sherlock Holmes novels, was quite a prankster. One day he played a prank on five of the most prominent men in England. He sent an anonymous note to each man which simply said, All is found out. Flee at once. Within 24 hours, all five men had left the country. Guilt is like a dark cloud hanging over our head. We're constantly worried that someone will find the skeleton in our closet. That deep, dark secret that only we know about. It's like carrying a heavy weight around our necks. It robs us of our confidence. Guilt damages our relationships, sabotages our relationships by causing us to respond in harmful ways. We sometimes overreact out of impatience or anger, or we explode without reason because of some buried guilt. Guilt can also cause us to indulge people unwisely. Parents often feel guilty over poor choices they have made and overcompensate by indulging their children. Guilt can cause us to avoid commitment. We wonder why we won't let people get close to us. We allow ourselves to get just so close, but no closer. One of the main reasons is guilt. Past relationships push their way into the present and taint the future. Many marriage problems are the result of guilt over things that happened prior to or early in the marriage. That guilt from the past causes marriage problems today. Guilt keeps us stuck in the past. Instead of dealing with the current problem, some people remain stuck in the past. Their guilt over something they did holds them prisoner. Guilt tries to keep us focused on what's behind us by replaying the past in our minds over and over. We replay all the things we wish we could change. It's like driving a car by always looking in the rearview mirror. A rearview mirror certainly is helpful because it gives us perspective. Looking at our past gives us perspective too, but if we only look at our past, we never get to see the present or look forward to the future. Some people focus on the past to the extent that their rear view mirror gets bigger than their windshield. With this kind of driving, forward progress is nearly impossible. In fact, a crash is likely in the near future. And spiritual growth is the process of expanding that windshield and shrinking the rear view mirror so you can get on with the present. Feeling guilty cannot change the past, just like worry cannot change the future. Feeling guilty just makes our day, today, miserable. Over time, guilt can make us physically sick. When we swallow our guilt, our stomachs keep score. And if we don't talk it out with God and others, we will continue to take it out on ourselves and others. Choice four is the one that brings our painful past out in the open so we can deal with it, be cleansed of it, and then move on to health and happiness. This fourth choice may be a scary one, but it's a step that separates those who just want to talk about getting healthy from those who really want to get healthy. At the end of this chapter, you'll read the true story of CJ and Linda and how their individual lives as well as their marriage were dramatically changed as they made this choice. You'll see that their journey was not easy, but you'll also see that the results were nothing less than miraculous. If you want to change your life, if you want to get well, if you want to grow and let go of your past guilt once and for all, you'll have to come clean and make this fourth choice. Following five steps can help you move past your guilt. While the procedure is fairly simple, it isn't easy to actually do. 
and requires a lot of courage. Moving past guilt. Take a personal moral inventory. That's one of the first steps necessary if we're going to move past our guilt. May sound a little scary, but taking a personal moral inventory will be one of the most productive and cleansing things you can do. Like cleaning out a closet. When you clean out a closet, you uncover things that may have been stuffed in a dark corner for years. That stuff may even be stinking up your house. But you've ignored it because the thought of closet cleaning is just too overwhelming. However, when you clean out your closet, you also discover some unexpected treasures. Favorite pieces of clothing you thought had been lost or some great article you had forgotten about. That's how it is with our personal closet inventory. We may have all kinds of messes stuffed inside that we're trying to ignore. Some that may even be stinking up our lives. However, we'll also discover some great things about ourselves that we'd forgotten or never even realized. Once we actually get around to doing it, taking a personal moral inventory can transform our lives. We'll get into the specifics of how to do the moral inventory in our Make the Choice section, but for now let's look at the following acrostic to help us understand how this inventory works. We'll talk about the acrostic MORAL, M-O-R-A-L, where M means make time to begin your inventory, O means open your heart and your mind, R, rely on God's grace, A, analyze your past honestly, L, list both the good and bad choices and events in your life. The inventory begins with making some time to be alone with no interruptions, and you need to take your time. Don't rush it. Next, open your heart and mind to God and let Him reveal what you need to see. The psalmist said it this way, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad and lead me along the path of everlasting life. As you begin to see the truth about yourself, you can rely fully upon God's grace, knowing that He has forgiven you, no matter what your inventory recovers, uncovers. As you analyze yourself, you must be ruthlessly honest, no more pretending. When I wrote down my first moral inventory, I saw for the first time how many years my poor choices had hurt all those that are most important to me. It was truly a moment of clarity. I understand how my drinking hurt my wife, my children, and all those close to me. It was painful to go through, but the end result was worth every minute of it. My past was no longer a secret, and I could choose to continue my healing journey and do my part in restoring all the relationships that I had damaged. Accept responsibility for your faults. Honestly, accepting responsibility for ourselves is not an easy thing to do, but God has created us with the ability to see ourselves for who we are. The Lord gave us mind and conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. Accepting responsibility for our faults begins with one do and three don'ts. Do. Be radically honest. The truth of the matter is, we ourselves are the greatest barrier to the healing of our own hurts, hang-ups, and habits. Our healing starts with us being radically honest and saying, I'm the problem. We can't keep saying, if I could just change relationships, jobs, or locations, then everything would be fine. The problem with that kind of thinking is wherever you go, there you are. Don't rationalize. We can't keep saying, it happened a long time ago. It's just a phase. Everybody does it. 
We need to be honest and face the truth about ourselves. God's grace can cover us, no matter what the truth is. We don't need to minimize our actions by saying, it's no big deal. If it's no big deal, why do we still remember it 20 years later? Don't blame others. We blame others by saying it was mostly their fault. It may have been mostly their fault, but God holds us responsible for whatever part is our fault. It's time to stand tall and accept responsibility for our part in our life's problems. Don't deceive yourself. We just need to admit where we're messed up. If we really want to stop defeating ourselves, we have to stop deceiving ourselves. God will help us if we just ask Him. A special note about our responsibility. If you have been physically or sexually abused as a child or adult, I want you to know that I am sorry that you suffered through that abuse. There is no way I can know the pain it caused. But I want you to know that I empathize with your heart, with your hurt. When you start writing down your list of wrongs, simply put the words in all capital letters, big, bold, and underlined, NOT GUILTY. When you begin the process of writing down your wrongs, write down the words, NOT GUILTY, for the abuse that was done to you. No part of that sin committed against you was your fault. Renounce the lie that the abuse was your fault. Do take responsibility for how you may have hurt others because of your reactions to your past abuse. Don't you think it's time to finally deal with your guilt so you can get on with your life? As you complete your moral inventory, you will be able to look at your list and say, Yes, that's me. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I accept responsibility for my faults. Ask God for forgiveness. Scripture tells us, If we freely admit that we have sinned, we find God utterly reliable and straightforward. He forgives our sin and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. You can't find a better promise than that. If we freely admit it, God will forgive us. God's nature is the basis for forgiveness. There is no sin so severe that God cannot forgive. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you as clean as freshly fallen snow, the Lord says. A woman came in to see her pastor and said, I'm depressed. I've been in bed for weeks and I no longer have the energy to get out of bed and live. Sensing her deep pain, the pastor asked her, Is there something in your life that you really regret? She began to pour it out. Yes, my husband travels. I had an affair and got pregnant and I had an abortion. I've never told my husband about it. The pastor shared God's promise that no matter how deep the stain of our sins, God can take it out and forgive us. Distressed, she replied, it just doesn't seem fair. Somebody's got to pay for my sin. The pastor assured her, somebody already has. He continued to explain, his name is Jesus Christ. That's why he died on the cross. He died for that sin and every other one you've committed and confessed and the ones you're going to commit. She cried and asked, How do I ask God for his forgiveness? You may be asking the same question. Here's how. Don't beg. 
You don't have to beg for God to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. God wants to forgive you more than you want His forgiveness. He is a forgiving God. Don't bargain. Don't say to God, if you'll just forgive me, I'll never do this again. You don't have to bargain with God to get His forgiveness. Don't bribe. If you will forgive me, I promise to do a bunch of good things. I'll go to church. I'll tithe. I'll help the poor. Do believe. Believe that God will forgive you. He forgives our sin and makes us thoroughly clean from all that is evil. Admit your faults to another person. God tells us that it is absolutely essential for us to share our moral inventories with another person. Scripture reminds us, admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. How does this verse say we are healed? By admitting our faults to one another. Why can't we just admit our faults to God? Why must another person be involved? Because the root of our problems is relational. We lie to each other, deceive each other, and are dishonest with each other. We wear masks, pretend we have it together, deny our true feelings, and play games largely because we believe if they really knew the truth about me, they wouldn't love me. We become more isolated than ever. We keep all the junk of our past inside and we get sick. There's a saying, we are only as sick as our secrets. The hurts, hang-ups, and habits that we try to hide end up making us sick, but Revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. When you follow God's instruction to admit your faults to one another, when you risk honesty with another person, all of a sudden a wonderful feeling of freedom comes into your life. You begin to realize that everybody has problems and many have the same ones you do. There's something therapeutic about admitting your faults to another person. It's God's way of freeing you. Maybe you're beginning to open your heart to the possibility of sharing your inventory list with one other person, but have some questions. Who will I tell? What do I say? When do I do it? Those are all great questions, and we're going to do our best to answer them in the following minutes. How do you choose who to tell? Do you just go out and broadcast your sins to everybody? No. Telling the wrong person or people could cause big trouble. Hopefully, you found a person that seems honest and genuine. Ask someone you trust, someone who can keep a confidence and is not a gossip. Ask someone who understands the value of what you're doing. Ask someone who is mature enough to not be shocked. Someone who has been transparent with you about his or her life. Ask someone who knows the Lord well enough to reflect his forgiveness to you. A pastor, your accountability partner, your ministry leader, a trusted friend, or a Christian counselor. When thinking about sharing your faults with another person, what do you say? When do you do it? Before you say anything, find a place to meet without interruptions. You'll be able to share some tough issues and it may not be easy to get the words out. You need plenty of time and you don't need any distractions. Be upfront in saying that you need to share your moral inventory. You may start off by saying, I just need someone to listen to me as I verbalize some things I know are wrong in my life. Some of the things I've done, I realize have hurt people. Be specific. The secret you most want to conceal is the very one you need to reveal. The revelation of that most painful secret will bring you the most healing. Then you'll experience God's abundant grace and finally be free. You'll experience relief and freedom like never before. But taking this action you step out of the darkness of your secrets and in to Christ's freeing light of life. Scripture says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So when do you do it? There's one answer to, there's one answer to this question. As soon as possible. Don't procrastinate. You may be thinking, I'll finish the rest of the book and then I'll come back and share my moral inventory with another person. Or, I need to think about this one for a while. Maybe I'm not quite ready to take this step yet. That's okay. You may just need a little more pain. God is waiting to free you from your past. He's waiting for you to come clean so you can move toward healing and joy. Make this healing choice. Do it now, and God will bless you and protect you. Accept God's forgiveness and forgive yourself. Scripture reminds us all have sinned and are not good enough for God's glory, and all need to be made right with God by His grace, which is a free gift. They need to be made free from sin through Jesus Christ. This passage tells us that we have all missed the mark. We have all done things for which we need God's forgiveness. We're all in the same boat. We've all sinned. We've all made poor choices. We all have hurts, hang-ups, and habits, just in different areas and degrees. Forgiveness takes place invisibly. What actually happens when God forgives us? How does forgiveness work? For one, God forgives us instantly. He doesn't wait. The moment you ask, you're forgiven. It's done. He never makes you wait or suffer for a while. He loves you way too much. Humans do that, but God doesn't. This is the confidence that we can have, as Scripture reminds us. Let us then feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there is grace then we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. Doesn't that sound like exactly what you need? Another point to make about forgiveness is that God forgives freely. He freely takes away our sins. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's free. Once again, Scripture says all need to be made right with God by His grace, which is a free gift. They need to be made free from sin through Jesus Christ. God is the one who makes us right, by His grace and for free. Lastly, He forgives completely. God's forgiveness is not in stages. It is not partial. It is absolutely complete. He wipes out all our sin. The Bible says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How great it feels to live with no condemnation, to live with the knowledge that God loves us in spite of all, all our faults. Now all that's left to do is do it. In the three action steps for this chapter, we'll help you deal with your guilt, come clean through a personal inventory, and accept God's gracious, full, and free forgiveness. Stories of Changed Lives, C.J. and Linda's Story of Coming Clean. C.J. speaking. We would like to share with you how God's miracles can take the hearts of a hardened alcoholic and a resentful codependent and turn them into grateful, joy-filled servants' hearts. My name is C.J. I'm a believer who struggles with alcoholism. My family was influenced by a strict German father. We didn't express our feelings or emotions. We certainly never talked about them. Love and God were not discussed. My dad was a yeller, so anger was a fearful emotion for me. My religious background started in a Midwestern rural church. I learned about an Old Testament God. My God and my father were much the same, angry and to be feared. This dysfunctional background set the stage for my avoiding emotions. I left home at 18 and moved to the West Coast. It was during this time that I met Linda. After being inducted into the Air Force, I found I couldn't live without her.
We were married in 1952. Linda speaking. My name is Linda. I'm a believer who struggles with codependency. At 18, I was the happiest bride there ever was. We had each other. We thought we didn't need anything else. We were so much in love. When I married my when I married, my mother's parting words of advice were, "Remember, CJ is the most important person in your life now. Put his needs first and don't bother him with your problems. Take good care of him. And by the way, never buy lettuce with brown leaves." That was premarital counseling in the 50s. I now had all the information I needed to be the best wife, best lover, and when the time came, the best mother. I would fulfill all CJ's needs, and of course, he would fulfill all mine. My skills as a mother were tested by the birth of our daughter a year later, our first son the next year, and our second son five years after that. But these were years of happiness for me. So many things to be done and so many people needed me to do them. I felt loved and needed. I chose to fill my life with my home and taking care of my husband and children. It was very important for me to do all the things I should be doing, never saying no because what would people think? The years passed and our lives got busier. CJ spent a lot of time at work. Our children were growing up with their own problems and challenges. I was feeling less like the perfect wife and perfect mother and certainly less like the perfect lover. Soon, crises came into our lives, starting with the loss of CJ's job. It was harder and harder for us to talk or share, and we grew further and further apart. I remember just wishing my responsibilities and pain would go away but I couldn't leave for fear of what my children and husband would do without me to take care of them. It never occurred to me to share my pain with anyone, and it certainly never occurred to me to share it with God. All I could ask myself was, what am I doing wrong? Why is this happening to me? I thought that if CJ and the children would just change, I'd be okay. CJ speaking now, I was ill-equipped for marriage, and certainly as a father. I always put other priorities ahead of my wife and family. As family issues became more painful, I chose to numb my feelings with alcohol. During the years of our marriage, my drinking had been social. Slowly, drinking became part of everything I did, going out to dinner with friends, parties, working in the yard, social functions at work, weekends, you name it. Drinking became the priority in my life. I soon began to disrespect Linda, my family, and myself. My morals began to break down and lusting crept in as Satan pounded me with this sickness. My marriage vows, which I had once honored, were slowly disappearing. And soon, I found myself breaking those vows. My heart became hardened and I turned away from the God I grew up fearing. I was now a full-blown alcoholic with all the denial to go with it. When I spoke, I wasn't tactful or truthful. I was a practicing liar. As time passed, I even began to believe my own lies. Linda speaking. About this time, CJ made a decision to accept a job in Orange County. That meant we would have to sell our home of 22 years and move. That felt scary for me, but also exciting. I thought it might be a new beginning. After we moved, we even visited some churches, but they were always too big or too small, or the people weren't friendly, or they met in a gym, and that didn't seem like church to me. CJ's job kept him away from home more and more. I began to feel a loneliness I had never felt before an empty spot in the middle of my heart that I tried to fill with many things. CJ and I were on different tracks. I felt we were traveling in opposite directions. I felt unloved and certainly not cherished. My life became a dark place filled with anger, confusion, self-doubt, and distrust. 
I didn't allow myself to see the facts that surrounded me. Our lives and our love had changed. Alcohol was more and more a part of CJ's life, and anger was more a part of mine. Though I had ignored the signs for a long time, I could no longer deny the fact that there was another woman in my husband's life. My main feeling was, why has this happened to me? Why is God letting this happen to my perfect marriage? I promised God and CJ that I would change, that I would be, wouldn't be angry and criticizing, and that I would be a better wife. I bargained with everything I could. Time passed, but nothing changed. The arguments became more frequent. The pain grew greater, the words harsher, the silences longer, the shouting louder, and the desperation deeper. Periodically, I prayed, telling God I would turn it all over to Him if only He would make it all go away, if He would just make CJ quit drinking and make our lives whole again. But I would then proceed to do things my own way, never listening for an answer to my prayer or giving control over to God. My isolation was great. I put on my masks and went out to meet the world, hoping nobody would see my guilt and shame and try to reach out to me. I thought I was fooling everybody, even myself. But our friends and family were seeing the negative changes in our relationship. I felt totally alone. The possibilities were so frightening. I was so angry with God, feeling even He had deserted me. CJ speaking. At about this time, even though we didn't know it yet, God was about to give us some healing choices. Our grandson came to live with us. He began attending a big church called Saddleback. Linda and I began to attend with him. I would check the church bulletin to see if any AA meetings met there, but conveniently found none. I wondered what Celebrate Recovery was, but I was sure it didn't relate to me. Linda speaking. Our daughter and our youngest son came to the house to talk to us one morning. My daughter told me she was worried about me. I had almost ceased to communicate with her. She cried, I don't know how to talk to you anymore, and I miss you. Our son told me, it feels like you and dad don't have a relationship anymore, and we're worried about that. I took a deep breath, swallowed my tears, and admitted aloud for the first time they were right. I hastened to add they needed to be talking to their dad that if he would just stop drinking, we might be able to build a life together again. CJ speaking. They also confronted me on my excessive closet drinking. I made a commitment to them, and on Friday evening, February 29, 1996, I went to Saddleback Church. I made the longest walk of my life across the parking lot to the Celebrate Recovery meeting. I told my small group that I had 24 hours of sobriety. A man in the circle by the name of Big Al jumped up and said, Congratulations! Then he grabbed me and gave me a big hug. I was really unsure about that one. I soon learned to love those hugs, and I haven't turned one down since. Big Al assured me that if I kept coming back, I would begin to see some of God's miracles in my life. I agreed that night to start attending a men's step study the next week. The first question in the workbook was, what do you have control over in your life? My list was long, but after about 30 minutes of heated discussion, it came down to simply nothing. I have control over nothing, except to get on my knees before God. This was my first step in admitting I was powerless. Linda speaking. I didn't go with CJ that first evening because I thought this was his thing. He's the one who needed to get well, and that was my denial. I had noticed in the church bulletin there was a group for codependents, but I really didn't want to go sit with a bunch of ladies and tell them about my life. Maybe they wouldn't like me if they knew all those things about me. CJ's joy began to be noticeable to me. It seemed like each time he went to a meeting, he came back home with a greater joy. 
It did seem that when we went to church on Sunday that I felt some of that joy. Pastor Rick was talking to me about so many things, and I heard things that began to give me hope. So I decided I would try Celebrate Recovery. The people were friendly, the music was great, and there were some good hugs. However, I wasn't sure about letting total strangers into my life, but I made the choice to try. CJ speaking. I pray the same prayer every day in my quiet time, in my car, at night, wherever I might be. Dear God, I have tried to do it all by myself, on my own power, and I have failed. It is my prayer to daily turn my will over to you, to daily seek your direction and wisdom for my life. Please continue to help me. Amen. I had completed the first three choices. During this time, I was very fortunate that I had become very close to two men in my step study group. They became my accountability partners. At the time, I didn't know how important they would become as I began to work on the fourth choice. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and someone I trust. Being the procrastinator, I didn't have a notebook or a good place to write or a proper format, and so on. My accountability partner said, just start. But where do I start? I finally figured it out. I asked God. Every day, God brought more memories from the past, many of which I hadn't thought about for several years. Some days I couldn't touch my notebook, but as I was able to record each episode, I felt that much closer to God. My heart became much lighter as the bonds and chains were lifted, one by one. As I worked on my fourth choice, the one thing that kept me going was my step-study group. They pushed, they shared their encouragement, love, support, and most of all, their tears. My two accountability partners became my bastions of help. These two guys, my step-study group, and my wife's patience helped me work this choice. Each day, Linda speaking, then it happened. On a warm evening, I was sitting outside on the patio reading a book. I remembered as I was reading that there were some things I needed to do. So being the compulsive list maker that I am, I reached across the table, picked up a notebook to pull out a sheet of paper. I opened the notebook to put a page with writing on it. My eyes fell on the words I could not have imagined. I knew I had a choice to close that page and read no further, but I didn't. My eyes filled with tears. My heart was pounding in my chest. It was like my love and my life were all on that page and had been wiped out with one big swipe. I had opened to CJ's journal notes for his fourth choice. It was all there. Some things I knew, some I didn't. The tears swelled and the anger was gigantic. I was like a volcano waiting to erupt. There was no reasoning in my mind or my heart. Deep inside, I knew I had read what I shouldn't have. I also knew I had to face it, tell CJ, and deal with the consequences. I knew I had to make amends for my invasion of such a special privacy, but how could I do that when I was in the midst of such anger and hurt feelings? My love was rejected, my self-worth was in shambles, and my life was in chaos. When CJ came home, I told him what had happened, still so angry and full of resentment. All I could think of was to strike out and hurt. I remember being at church one Sunday when Kay Warren, Pastor Rick's wife, spoke. She shared that she had gone through a time when she was in such pain that she couldn't come to the Lord in prayer but she had others who could pray for her during that time. I knew what Kay felt, but thought I don't have others to pray for me. So I isolated myself in anger, stayed away from my Celebrate Recovery group, and looked for answers, and found none. I couldn't pray. I didn't have the words. I had never felt so alone. Had God forsaken me? Or perhaps I had forsaken God? His word tells us, you began your life in Christ by the Spirit. Now, are you trying to make it complete by your own power? That is foolish. 
I had forgotten what I had learned in the third choice, to rely on God's power. I was trying to do it all on my own. I forgot to pray to God to give me the strength to change, to forgive, and to endure. CJ speaking. First, I was angry. What right did she have to do such a thing? Even though it was really my fault for not being more careful with my workbooks and journal, she still had no right. But second, I was scared. As fragile as our relationship was at that time, this would crush all hope. I was sure it was the couch time for me. I called my accountability partner and got a huge, oh, my, CJ, what have you done? I received love and support in a renewed commitment from my step study group to handle their books and journals very carefully. There were many prayers for God to help Linda understand. After many days of prayer, God granted me the wisdom to know that it was in his hands and that he would take care of it. God was listening, and God is great. I began to realize that there could never be any more lies between Linda and me. She knew it all. God touched her heart, and as I continued to work my program, Linda's heart softened. Linda speaking. Without my knowing it, there were many prayers being said for God to soften my heart. CJ's accountability partner suggested that CJ call Pastor John to help us work through what had happened. Pastor John met with us, and we both talked and shared our feelings. He was so encouraging and helped me feel better. He prayed with us and suggested that I reach out to someone in my group and make some special friends I could share with. I left with hope in my heart. Soon after that, I had a call from John's wife, Cheryl, asking me to meet her for coffee before Friday's evening Celebrate Recovery meeting. As we walked into the coffee shop, I saw CJ's accountability partner. We visited a while and then parted with him saying, CJ's doing heroic things, you know. And I said, I know. I felt blessed. For the first time that evening, as Cheryl and I visited, I felt safe and opened my heart to her. I shared some of my pain and some of my doubts about 44 years of marriage that have brought me to this place and time. As Cheryl and I ended our time together, she said something she may not even remember, but it made the first small crack in my hardened heart. She said, I think you're doing heroic things too. I thank God's every day of my life for those simple words. They were the beginning of a journey to my heart. This is surely not the way I would recommend anyone to work a fourth choice, but it was the beginning for me. I can't tell you that all the anger and pain had magically left, but God's grace and love does work miracles on an angry, resentful heart. There have been many prayers, mine, CJ's, and others, to help me trust God and CJ. Prayers to help me reach out, to give up the useless defensive anger, and to embrace Christ and the love and forgiveness He offers each of us. I returned to the love and safety of my codependency group. This time I was determined not to isolate, but to give of my hope, strength, and experience, sharing how God has worked in my life. In return, He has blessed me in more ways than I can express. He blessed me with a growing friendship with the women in my group. I found encouragement and love in a safe place to grow and share. My help and strength have come from God. My accountabil accountability partners have loved me, helped me, and kicked me when I needed it. We have cried and shared and prayed our way through the eight choices, always together. There are days when I call my accountability partner and say, I need to talk. She will gently listen as I pour out my pain, sometimes a mother whose child is hurting, sometimes as the wife of a recovering alcoholic, and sometimes as a frustrated perfectionist who wants to have every bit of dust out of the corners before her friends come to dinner. She reminds me to get out of God's way and let Him work His plan. She helps me be joyful when God is working miracles in a child's life. 
Be grateful to have a husband to laugh and share with, and to lighten up and not worry about whether my house is clean. CJ speaking. As I worked through the choices, Linda began to walk next to me, hand in hand. I cannot begin to express how much love has been opened between us. It has been 11 years since I started the Celebrate Recovery program. With God's help, I have not had the need for a drink since. That's all I really expected from my recovery. I felt that at my age, I couldn't change my behavior or mend my damaged relationships. But God has given me so much more than I thought possible. As the years of my recovery have passed, Linda has seen the changes God has made in me. He has softened her heart and allowed her to reach out her hand to me. After all the years of pain, lies, and disrespect, God opened the door of forgiveness. As we have progressed one day at a time, we have redeveloped a relationship and respect for one another. We've renewed our marriage vows on our 50th wedding anniversary. After all these years of marriage, I finally began to understand what intimacy is all about. And little by little, it has become a part of our lives. God's miracle. Resentments and differences still arise, but we now have a way to work through them together. With God's help, we continue daily to work on listening to each other and communicating in a loving manner. Pastor Rick has challenged us to say, God, use me. We have, and God has. We humbly thank God for opportunities to be used as servants and leaders in Saddleback's Celebrate Recovery and to work with other churches to help them start their own recovery programs. Linda speaking. God has richly blessed CJ and me in our lives, our love, our church, our family, our friends, and our commitment to our personal Savior. Jesus Christ. He has given us friends who lift us up in prayer in times of trouble and in times of celebration. We have prayed together and loved and cried and laughed together. I thank God for the fourth choice and for all that has happened in our lives on a daily basis. We feel joy in the good and bad, knowing that He truly will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The following scripture has become a daily affirmation of God's love for us. After you have suffered a little while, our God, who is full of kindness through Christ, will give you His eternal glory. He personally will come and pick you up and set you firmly in place and make you stronger than ever. That is the conclusion of CJ and Linda's story. And it's a powerful testimony of what God can do when we complete choice four. They had to put back the pieces of their individual lives before they could begin to rebuild their marriage. When we make this fourth choice, we become free from the hold our secrets have had on us. We have the assurance that God has completely forgiven us and we can move forward in our healing journey and our relationships.